Our scripture lesson is coming from Jeremiah 18, verses 1 through 11. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, Come, go down to the potter's house, and there I will let you hear my words. So I went down to the potter's house, and there he was, working at his wheel. The vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand, and he reworked it into another vessel, as it seemed good to him. Then the word of the Lord came to me. Can I not do with you, O house of Israel, just as the potter has done, says the Lord? Just like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. At one moment I may declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will pluck up and break down and destroy it. But if that nation, concerning which I have spoken, turns from its evil, I will change my mind about the disaster that I intended to bring on it. And at another moment, I may declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will build and plant it. But if it does evil in my sight, not listening to my voice, then I will change my mind about the good that I have intended to do to it. Now therefore, says to the people of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, Thus says the Lord, Look, I am a potter shaping evil against you and devising a plan against you. Turn now, all of you, from your evil way and amend your ways and your doings. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Most of us know that scripture passage that was just read. We know a portion of it, don't we? We know about the potter and the clay. And uh, many times when we look at this passage and we hear that, it's so wonderful, right? God is shaping us. And then Felicia kept on reading, and it was like, oh, no, God is shaping us. Because that scripture, when you put this within the, um, when you read it within its context, it takes on an entirely different, different meaning. And we're going to see that unfold here in a few, few moments. Um, just as many of us know uh, the scripture passage, many of us know who Jeremiah um, is, and he was a, a major prophet in the Old Testament, if you, if you don't know. And the book, the, his book is, is very long, all right? It has many chapters in it, but it is worth to read, just like any of the um, books of the Bible. But Jeremiah, again, was a major prophet in the Old Testament scripture, and he prophesied right up to the very end when the city of Jerusalem fell to the Babylonians in 587 or 586 B.C., all right? And he, he prophesied during that time and, and a little bit past it. But here's the thing. God called Jeremiah to prophesy to Israel and to get them to turn around from their sinful ways. And so you would think that being a prophet from God, and they knew he was called by God. They knew he was a prophet. When the prophet says, thus says the Lord, they are speaking on behalf of God. So they heard those words. So you would assume that being a prophet and them knowing that, that they would, that they would listen to him, right? But they didn't. They didn't listen to Jeremiah. Over and over again, he would say these things and, and prophesy and say, turn from your wicked ways. They didn't listen to him, not once. They heard his voice, but they didn't turn around and repent. 
And so God took action against them, his own people, blessed Israel. And this is really interesting. If you read through the book of Jeremiah, when you do, you will notice that in the earlier portions of the book, God provides the people a chance to repent and change their ways. That's the message. There is always an opportunity to turn around, stop, face the other way, remember the covenant, turn back to God. There is always that chance. However, what is interesting is there is a threshold in the book of Jeremiah that when the people cross, where God provides no more opportunity for repentance. In other words, they reach a point of no return, and they just head down that path. Today's scripture passage is in chapter 18, and it is the last chance that the people get to repent before they cross that threshold. And this is revealed in the language of metaphor, and it uses the symbols of a potter working and shaping clay into something that the potter envisions. And God tells Jeremiah to go down to the potter's house and watch him work the clay. And so that's exactly what Jeremiah does. He heads down to the potter's house and watches him work the clay that is on a wheel. And while Jeremiah is watching the potter work this clay, the clay becomes spoiled in the potter's hands. And it wasn't responding and being formed the way that he saw fit. The clay was being stubborn. It was hard to work with. So guess what the potter does? The the potter broke it down. It had form. It wasn't fitting to the potter. So the potter started again by breaking down the clay. Do over. (laughs) And then God spoke through Jeremiah as he's watching this potter and the clay. And he says, can I not do with you? O house of Israel, just as this potter has done says the Lord, just like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. Now that sounds beautiful until you are reminded of what just happened to the clay, right? It was broken down. It was not pleasing to God. So God broke the clay down. Can I not do with you what you just witnessed? And through this, God was giving the people a final warning that if they do not turn around from their sinful ways, God would form an enemy with another portion of clay to come up against them. Isn't that interesting? God is just not at work in the nation of Israel. God is at work in other nations. And he's going to form another nation to come up, an enemy to come up against his very own people and destroy them. And that enemy was the warring nation of the Babylonian Empire. And that is exactly what happened. They came up against Jerusalem, against Israel, and destroyed them, decimated them. And Israel was no more. Not until the 20th century that you see Israel rise again as a nation. That's some pretty heavy stuff. And now you would think with this warning that the people would listen, right? God's going to destroy you. He's got a plan against you. Listen, turn around. But they didn't listen. 
and that's chapter 18. And then you turn to, turn to chapter 19, and it's very interesting what happens because the people cross over into the point of no return. There is no opportunity for repentance. And in chapter 19, the clay has hardened into a vessel, a jug, and you can't reshape clay that has been hardened into a jug, can you? And so God tells Jeremiah to go back down to the potter's house and buy and purchase this vessel, this hardened clay. And then gather all the elders, all the, you know, the, high, the hierarchy, the higher-ups in Israel. Gather them together and smash the jug as a symbolic act of what God was going to do to them. Just smash it. This week I was talking to Apple and I'm like, wouldn't it be so cool if I had a jug like that and I was just able to smash it? <laughs> and she goes, well, that's going to be messy, you know, but, you know, you, you're just going to have to picture it. But I think that would be really cool if I just went, bam! And then I said, Alan, can you clean this up, please? <laughs> you know what I mean? But think about it. It would have drawn, a, a, like, just, it would have brought this to life. Okay? Because you can't shape that vessel anymore. You can't, it's, it's hardened. At, there was a time when you were able to shape it and form it, okay? And it was stubborn, and then bam, crash. Broken into pieces all over the place. Dispersed. That's what happens when you break a jug, right? It disperses, and that is what God did with his people. They were dispersed throughout the land. Now, what I just shared with you was the historical backdrop of what the scripture passage is all about, okay? Now, here's what um, pastors and preachers tend to face. Um, they, we tend to, like, come up with a passage and we make it relevant to the people, right? Okay? But I'm telling you, this passage right here, sometimes you have to look at the scripture and you have to be like, well, before we even get to what it means for me. Because we like to do that, don't we? We like to open up the scripture, read a verse and say, what does this have to do with me? It's all about me, me, me. Okay, but what about them? What about the story that God is telling us about the history of Israel, about the history of, of his people? Because this was a terrible action, right? This really happened. And when we look at a scripture and we immediately don't learn what it's about, and we don't think about Israel and the history behind it, we cheapen the story. And we forget about them. What you went through was horrific. But what about me? You can't do that just yet. You have to let that sink in. All right? Is the story relevant to us? Is God working within us today? Yes, certainly. But I'll tell you what. I don't have the authority to read the scripture, an Old Testament scripture about Israel, and then lift it out of context and say, this is exactly what God is doing with you today. That's pretty arrogant, okay? And a lot of people do fall into that. I, I open up social media sometimes, and I see passages where they, they plant the scripture from the Old Testament or something and say, God destroyed this nation. He's going to destroy you too. You really know that? <laughs> okay, you can actually claim that? You have that authority? No, you don't, and neither do I. I can tell you what God is, how God acted in history with Israel. Why? Because it's written about Israel. As far as us today, we live in an entirely different context. All right? We have Jesus Christ. We have the Holy Spirit. We have the church. So does this passage relate to us today? I can imagine um, many people reading this passage and thinking about the nation that they live in. Right? 
Because we read this and like, wow, God was going to smash that nation. And he did. They were going the wrong direction. And then you look at places like America and you're like, are we there? Is that how God is working in America? I can tell you that God is working in America, just like God is working in the other nations of the world and trying to shape them. But I don't, I don't you know, but I, again, I only know what happened with Israel during this time. Remember, we have a different context. We have Jesus Christ. We have the Holy Spirit. So, is this relevant to us today? Yes and no. Yes, God is working and shaping his people. God is working and shaping the world through the church, through you. All right? Is God going to destroy us like he destroyed them? I don't know. (laughs) Again, I don't have the authority to do that. Okay? What I do know is that you have power to shape the world around you. And you're you're going to see that in a few moments. So how is this relevant to us? It's relevant in the fact that God is active in your life. It's relevant in the fact that God is active in this nation. It's relevant in the fact that God is active all around the world, everywhere you go. God is active through his people, through his church. That is how it is relevant. All right? In Isaiah 64, chapter 64 verse 8 was our scripture sentence today. It said, God is the potter and we are the clay. That's what I know. All right? So when you read this scripture, let, let the history sink in. Think about the people of Israel. Don't cheapen their story by making it all about you. And then once you do that, then you can pull the principle of we are clay and God is the potter out. And we could talk about that right now. So if God is the potter and you are the clay, we are the clay, um, it leads to a question. How is God trying to shape you as a person? And what kind of clay are you? Are you a resistant kind of clay? Or are you open to the spiritual formation that God is trying to shape in your life? What kind of clay are you? I will tell you before we move on, I'm both. Me personally, I'm not either good clay or bad clay. It's not an either or. This is a both and. There are certain portions of my life where I see myself as being good clay to work with, and there are other portions of my life where I am just just a stubborn piece of clay that God is just trying to work with, and his hands are hardening around the clay saying, oh, please, work with me. I don't want to break you down, right? So I'm both. And chances are you are both as well. Now listen, if you're um, not familiar with how a potter works with clay, it involves a piece of clay. Um, the bulletin. Look at, look at the front cover of your bulletin. You see that? This is clay on a wheel, and it's spinning around on top of the wheel, right? So take a good look at that and get that into your mind, okay, as I go through this right here. Well, as the um, clay spins on the wheel, the potter uses their hands and applies pressure, pressure to certain points in the clay in order to give the clay its shape, all right? And pressure does what? It holds things together, right? He's got the whole world in his hands, right? Trust me, there's a little pressure going on right there, okay? Um, but it's, you know, sometimes the world is not like clay. It's like a marble, right? And God's like, oh, I can't. I'm working with this right here. It seems that way. But the point is there is pressure being applied. And when the pressure is applied, it gives the, it gives the shape. And it begins to form. 
things right with the clay as it spins. But listen to this. When the potter does not apply the pressure, the clay begins to take a more... Ple- uh, when the potter does not apply the pressure, it just sits there and spins, and it's a distorted shape, right? Okay? And eventually that will harden into that distorted shape. I will tell you this. God loves you enough to apply pressure and form you. God is not going to not apply pressure in your life, thus allowing you to just sit and spin on the wheel and not be formed, all right, to remain distorted. So pressure must be applied in some matter in order for the clay to take shape. Does that make sense? And listen to this. Maybe there are some parts of your character your character that God is applying pressure to in order to draw you closer to him. And that's uncomfortable, right? And maybe through that pressure on your character, God is forming you into something more pleasing. Now notice that I said that God is applying pressure to some part of your character. Notice I didn't say that God is applying pressure by causing problems to occur in your life. Those are two totally different things right there. We live in a world that is good and fallen, and both bad and good things happen to us. And the propensity uh, for, for people to say when good things happen, we can credit God, but when bad things happen, you see the point here? We live in a world where good and bad things happen. And it's how you deal with them through your character that counts. God is trying to shape your character so you can deal with those things. You ever meet those people that that the world comes up against them, and no matter what is thrown at them, they always have that joyful Christian countenance to them. You ever notice that? You look at Paul in the Bible. I mean, he... um, he had rocks thrown at him. He was stoned, okay? I mean, he was put in jail. He, he, he was just beaten, okay? His very own people came up against him, but there was nothing you could do to, like, shape him in a form that's negative. He had this beautiful shape about him that no matter what came up against him, he handled it in a loving and godly way. That's character right there. And God is focused on your character, Because when your character is shaped by God, it enables you to respond to the things that happen to you in the world in a way that is pleasing to God. And trust me when I say that your response to the things that happen to you have the power to shape the world around you, therefore making you a potter of some sort. So are you allowing God to shape your character? Or are you like a spoiled piece of clay in the potter's hand? And how do you know what kind of clay you are in the hands of God? How do you know? Well, one of the ways you can know is through the process of self-evaluation. That's a scary word to a lot of people, especially in a culture where everyone's looking for approval from everywhere, right? We're approval junkies, all right? But you have to enter into the process of self-evaluation. Perhaps at the end of the day, this is a very good practice to get into. Take a moment at the end of the day and ask the Holy Spirit to examine your actions throughout the day. What parts of the day did I, be- did I behave in a manner that was pleasing to God? Hopefully there you have a list. Hopefully you can say, yes, God, I, I, I really lived in the, you know, the person you called me and the person you're shaping to be right there. But then you have to ask the other question. What parts of the day did I behave in a manner that was not pleasing to God? 
there's going to be something there. Do I need to grow in love, forgiveness, patience? You know, you're going to find that you're, you're patient with more with some people than other people. Is that the truth or what? There are people in my life that I, have, I just have a lot of patience with. And then there are some people that really just try my patience. Okay? And it is difficult. Right? Even as a pastor, oh, no, I get along with everyone. No one gets on my nerves ever. Right? Okay? I'm speaking truth right now. Chances are you are the same. Chances are there are people in your life that you literally cannot stand, okay? Am I speaking truth here? We're human, right? Or do I have a perfect congregation? This is pretty awesome because I'm the only one that needs work, <laughs> right? We got to reshape the pastor. <laughs> He's not perfect, all right? But listen, perhaps, you know, at the end of the day, examine those things. Where, you know, where, do, where is God trying to shape your character, so if you get into the practice of self-evaluation with God and you seriously open yourself up to making those spiritual changes in your character, then I believe that, that you are good clay in the potter's hands. That's good clay. But check this out. But if at the end of the day you sit back and you think there is no room for improvement in your life and you're that person that is not being formed. In fact, you want everyone else to be formed, don't you? And, and, and you know that, you know, you're that person that sits back and says, listen, why can't they change? They need to do this. They need to do that. They need to fix this, right? Why do I have to do it all? Well, you know, if you want the job done right, you got to send in the, who cares? Because if everyone around, if everyone around you needs to change, you're the problem, okay? Or you just keep really poor company, but I'm thinking that you're probably the problem. And that is how God is applying the, the pressure to your character in your life. You're not perfect. No one is perfect here. Everyone has some part of their life that, that they need to work on. And if you're going through a period of time, even like a couple days, we're saying, I don't need to change at all. You're the problem. And that, I would say, you're spoiled clay in the potter's hand at that point. That, at least that portion of your life is spoiled clay in the potter's hand. All right? I'll tell you what I have to work on. I have to work on personally my patience. I have to work on sometimes my compassion. Okay? Not all the time. Being a pastor, that is kind of my role. All right? Those things like that. Um, let's see. I tend to get confused between sarcastic and sarcasm and wit. Okay? Kids are wonderful at sarcasm, but I'll tell you what. They exercise wisdom when they can learn wit, okay? Sarcasm hurts people. Wit, okay, it doesn't. It's just like, ooh, that's really clever. I like that. But sarcasm leaves the other person walking away on being hurt eventually, okay? Learn, learn how to be witty, not sarcastic, all right? And I know that some of us really pride themselves on how sarcastic they can be. That's not, you're, you're not complimenting yourself, all right? But those are things that, I don't know, I need to work on. I'm, I'm not going to like draw attention like, hey, Evelyn, what do I need to work on? I'm sure she's got a list of things I need to work on, but I got a list too. <laughs> <All right? laughs> but listen, as, as God's people called together at St. John here, really examine yourself at night. And listen, if you find that everyone else, you want to change everything else but you, you got to work on that. That might be you. Guess what? We still love you. 
God still loves you. Work on it. Amen? Amen. Amen.